Well, uh, we are only seven days away from Christmas, and if you have small children in your home, there's probably a growing anticipation and excitement and uh, energy in your home. They've been waiting. It's getting closer. The big day is almost here. It's just a few ticks of the clock away, a few flips of your joke of the day calendar, uh, seven more links to tear off of your little uh, paper chain, right? We are ready. Today we're going to look at a story from Scripture of some folks who were not. Uh, Two weeks ago we read the story of Mary and Joseph and their trip to Bethlehem and the birth of the baby Jesus that's found there in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Today we're going to pick up that story in verses 8 through 15, and we're going to zoom in on a group of shepherds out in their field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And there are actually, as you get into the word there for watch, uh, the background story, they were keeping watches over their flocks by night. They took turns sleeping and watching, sleeping and watching. And if they were brothers, they were probably arguing over whose turn it was to sleep and whose turn it was to watch and who had watched the longest last time. But they didn't have any idea what was about to unfold. They were just doing what they had done for hundreds of nights before. Some sleeping, some watching. But those who were watching were watching for predators. They were watching for wandering sheep. They weren't watching for what they were about to see. They were about to see something very different. And as they sat with their sheep in the little town of Bethlehem, just a short distance away, Mary and Joseph had welcomed their baby boy into the world, wrapped him snugly in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. A baby is born almost without notice, but that's about to change. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles or look at the screen, it's going to be up there. We're going to look at the story from that night found in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. Now, I don't think there's any way we can really get our minds around what it was like to be there that night. You know, we've read this story before, and it's not terrifying to us. But the shepherds had no idea this was coming. None of the prophecies about the coming Messiah said anything about shepherds being visited by angels. They didn't know that they would be such an important part of the story. And it really was good news for those shepherds. 
they were unexpectedly included in God's unfolding story and given the joy and the, and the honor of being the very first people to spread the good news about the birth of the Messiah. And, you know, when I study a passage of Scripture for a message, I try to look at the difficult questions that need to be addressed in the story. And in this story of the angel's proclamation, the question that came to mind for me is, why, um, if the birth of Jesus is supposed to be good news of great joy for all people, why is there so much division and anger in our country and places around the globe over the good news of the gospel? Uh, for me, this is the absolute best possible news ever. But good news for other people, some people, uh, would be if the world were to get rid of the Christmas story, if we would get rid of the manger scenes, if we didn't say Merry Christmas, if the holiday music was played in the stores instead of Christmas carols. Today I want to look at why is the story not good news of great joy to some, and what we can do as followers of Jesus Christ to make it good news for more people. So in the Gospel of John, John gives a greatly shortened version of the Christmas story. I said the Christmas story is only found in Matthew and Luke. John gives his, uh, his version, and, it, and it's quite short. It says in chapter 1, the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came into the world. He took on flesh. In other words, he became a human being like us. And as the angels said, uh, that's good news. That's good news for us. It's good news for all the world. But we see in this very same chapter of John that it wasn't good news for all people in Jesus' day either. In John 1, uh, verses 10 and 12, we read, He was in the world, he being Jesus, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So John tells us right at the beginning, chapter 1 of his gospel, that there are going to be two ways to respond to the Christmas story. Two ways that people responded to Jesus coming and taking on flesh. Verse uh, 11 says, he came to his own people. These are the people that had the promises of his coming. They were the ones who were waiting for him. They had all of the Old Testament prophecies, and yet they didn't recognize him, and they didn't believe in him. And the primary reason the good news is not good news to everybody today is, that, uh, is because of unbelief. Not everyone believes that Jesus is who he said he was. And today, as is true in Jesus' day, there are people that don't believe, and there are a variety of reasons for that. And, and uh, you know, some you probably recognize this uh, in some of your your friends and your neighbors, your family. Uh, some people are angry at God because of the loss that they've experienced, or they look around and they see all the pain and the hurt in the world, and they wonder how can there really be a God uh, and still have all this pain? And if there is a God, He must not be a good God because He's not not taking care of that. So the amount of pain and suffering in the world is a block or a barrier for some people. Others have intellectual barriers. They can't meld faith and science. 
And uh, if you can't prove that God exists, then belief is not intellectually a viable option uh, for them. And Jesus gives another reason later in John's gospel, right in chapter 3, he says that he came as a light, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. So, so Jesus is saying in their heart of hearts, people know that Jesus is the Son of God, but they aren't willing to give up whatever it is that they think that they have to give up in order to become a follower of Jesus. Others um, see God as a crutch, that God is for wimps, and so they're offended by the idea that they need a Savior, that they need any kind of a rescue. And then lastly, there are some people who are just turned off by the faith, by uh, faith, turned off to faith in Jesus Christ by people who say that they're Christians, but don't live like Jesus lived or love like Jesus loved. And so they turn away from Jesus because of some of the actions they see coming out of Jesus' followers. So you may have recognized somebody that fits one of those descriptions. But there's a second way to respond to God's grace that's found here in the Gospel of John. And it says in verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's the good news of the gospel, that because he came, if we place our faith in him, we can have new life, we can have eternal life in him. And as children of God who've experienced his love, his joy, the life that he came to give us, we're called to reach out to others and help them to experience the good news of great joy that is meant to be for all people, and find life that's really life. So in the time that we have left, I'd like to look at three actions that we can take to help others experience the good news and the great joy that the angels proclaimed on that very first Christmas uh, night. The first thing we can do is live as Jesus lived and love as Jesus loved. You know, when your walk and your talk line up, then that speaks volumes to people. But when, you're, when you talk one way, telling people that you're this great Christian, but live another way, it's very difficult for people to hear the good news as good news. And we're kind of like the guy in the Tide commercial. Have you seen it? Uh, we're going to watch it. So tell me about yourself. Well, you know, an organized person, somebody who does not need details I'm actually very, very good with groups. Group work. Mm-hmm. I surpassed all my goals, my previous position, my prior job, and your competitor. My personality and media surpassed their own goals. If you're saying one thing and living a different way, then your words are drowned out by your actions. And uh, so I want to look at a a scripture from Matthew 5, and this is from the message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, but I like the way that uh, it's worded. This is what Jesus tells us. He says, let me tell you why you're here. Okay, so uh, this is our responsibility, our purpose, especially right at Christmas. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and end up in the garbage. 
Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors of the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. All right. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors. We're here to be light in the darkness. And Jesus is inviting us to live in such a way that when people look at our life, they get a taste of heaven. They get a glimpse of the kingdom of God by the way that we live. And the God flavors, the flavors of the kingdom of God are things like joy, celebration, peace, contentment, hope, love and acceptance, a life that's centered and stable and um, not tossed around by the storms of life. These are the flavors that people are hungry for. And, you know, I can't tell you the number of times I've seen one family member come to faith in Jesus Christ and then one by one others in their family or their friends begin to come to church as well because they see the difference in that person. They see the difference that faith in Jesus Christ makes when we live it out and walk it out um, as Jesus taught us to. When we live as Jesus taught us to live, love as Jesus loved, that gives people a little taste of what the kingdom of God is like. And they get a picture of the good news that the angels were singing about that night. Then the second thing that we can do is to continue to trust Jesus through the ups and downs of life. Uh, When others see you going through Uh, difficult circumstances or life-threatening illnesses or losses in life and continue to trust God and to continue in your faith, that helps them to believe that your faith is real. And the story behind the Christmas carol that we sang at the beginning of the service today, Angels from the Realms of Glory, is a great example of this. It was written by James Montgomery, and he had a pretty rough start to life. His parents were Moravians, which is a group of uh, Christians uh, that were mostly out of Germany, that area. Uh, In the 1800s, they were very fervent about reaching people for Christ. And so his parents, his father was the only Moravian pastor in Scotland. And even though he was the only Moravian pastor in Scotland, he still felt a call to go as a missionary to uh, Barbados, And he and his wife felt strongly called to this. So here's this six-year-old little guy, and with great anguish and tears, they leave him in the care of some Moravians in Ireland, boarded a ship for Barbados, and James never saw his parents again. They they perished in Barbados. And James was sent off to a boarding school in England. He didn't do well in his classes, so the administration there... Um, uh, apprenticed him to a local baker. He didn't really take to to baking, so he ran away from there. He spent his teen years all alone, just kind of wandering around trying to uh, sustain his life and that kind of thing, um, drifting. He eventually settled in Sheffield, England, where he began working for a local paper, and he'd really found his niche. He loved to write, and When the uh, owner of the paper had to flee because of an article that he wrote, (laughs) 
was driven out of town. Uh, James bought the paper from him. And despite the loss of his parents, James remained a devoted Christian, and he was devoted to the scriptures. He used the newspaper as a, a way to spread the gospel and to speak out against injust, injustice. And as the years passed, he became the most respected person in that community. And people in the, uh, that whole area read his writings eagerly. Well, on Christmas Eve, 1816, James opened the Bible to Luke 2, the story that we just read. And he was deeply impressed by the story of the angels appearing. You know, suddenly there's this great company of angels singing glory to God or saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And pondering that story, he took a pen and he started writing. And by the end of the day, his new Christmas poem was published in the newspaper and, and that whole area read it and it spread. Later, it was set to music and Angels from the Realms of Glory was sung for the very first time on Christmas Day, 1821, in a Moravian church in England. And uh, if anyone had reason to be angry with God, <laughs> James Montgomery did. And you can imagine uh, others in his shoes to think about, you know, okay, my parents went off to, to serve God and uh, left me, you know, a child with no parents to go and try to save somebody else's kids. I mean, he had reason for bitterness, but that didn't happen. And James Montgomery allowed God to use it for good in his life. Jesus put on flesh. He lived, breathed, walked, and talked among us. He was tempted. He was tested. He was tried. He was tortured. And that's what it cost Jesus to put on flesh. And if you're going through a difficult time right now, Jesus understands because he's been through the worst life can throw at you. He's been to the grave. But he conquered death, and he conquered the grave. And he has leaned towards us. And today he's saying, no matter what your circumstances this Christmas, loneliness, brokenness, concerns for your children, uncertainty about the future, fears about your health, questions about your marriage, self-doubts, he is with you. And just put your trust in him. And if you'll do that, others will see that and trust him too. Then the third action. Um, we can be a light in the darkness by making his love and hope known to others. <clears throat> the shepherds were uh, sitting in a field surrounded by darkness. And suddenly the glory of the Lord split open the darkness and the light shone all around them. And with that light came a message of love and hope. That light shone in the darkness, and it still shines around us today. And we get glimpses of it, and glimpses of God's glory and his presence through other people. And other people get glimpses of God's glory through us. You can bring that light to others this Christmas. And there are so many ways to do that, to make his love known during the holidays. Uh, this is a time when people's feelings of loss and loneliness are the greatest, when poverty and lack is magnified. So all we have to do is look around 
at the needs of others and then find a way to meet that need. Now, people have emotional needs, they have financial needs, they have spiritual needs, and God calls us to follow in Jesus' footsteps and move towards people to meet their needs. And one way that we can do that is to meet spiritual needs is by inviting them to either the Christmas Eve service at Bellevue or the Christmas service at Baseline. Jesus moved towards us, and as his followers, we're called to move towards others and offer them hope and love that we found in Jesus. And this Christmas season is a great opportunity to do that. This is the time of year most people are most willing to accept an invitation to church. So have you thought about who you're going to invite to one of the Christmas services? Do you know who it is? Do you have them in your mind? We're going to close with a video today. And um, Tina, I'm going to ask us to do something different today. I'm going to have the ushers come receive the offering while we watch this video. And then just bring it up and give it to me when, when you're done. And then I'll close with a prayer uh, after that. And then, of course, the choir is after that. All right, let's go ahead and watch the video. And ushers, would you please receive the offering now? <clears throat> Let's pray. Our loving God, we uh, every week we bring our gifts to you, and we are 
praying when we do that, that you'll use them in miraculous ways, that others would know you, love you, experience the joy of Christmas. And we ask that again today, God. And along with that, we pray that you'll give us the courage to go and, and to invite others to experience you, to experience life in you, and to experience the joy that you bring at Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>